1: Greetings and welcome to a special spotlight edition of the Shotgun Start. It is December 8th. Andy, how are we doing?
0: Brendan, I am uh, doing great. Just uh, ready to talk about uh, Prairie Dunes and 2002 U.S. Women's Open.
1: Okay, so this is a special spotlight, as I noted off the top. It is sponsored by the U.S. Open Victory Club. We will be focusing on Julie Inkster, a two-time winner of the U.S. Women's Open, she won a couple other, more than a couple other, USGA championships uh, in her career. Uh, so we thought this was a great sort of subject. It, it's, uh, you know, 2002 is an, a fabulous event in its own right. We're going to kind of drill down on that most specifically, but discuss Inkster's career in full with a, with a larger focus on O2 and also her history at the U.S. Women's Open. There was a heartbreak in 92, he got a first win in 99 and then '02 2 at Prairie Dunes against Annika. You know, she's uh, into her forties. It, it was like, it's, it's kind of like, has the crowd whipped up on a July 4th weekend. We thought that was like a really good specific USGA championship. Yeah. To, last, to uh,
0: last major of one of the all time. Great. So yep. last major win and uh, at an iconic course and uh, kind of, kind of put a, put a bow on on her career, uh, bookended her USGA championships and uh, you know, winning her first US women's amateur uh, yeah. of three in a row at Prairie Dunes and then winning so, her last major championship, the US women's open at Prairie Dunes in two thousand two. So so so
1: you can listen to this whenever, but we are recording it the week of the twenty twenty US Women's Open, a rare December. USGA Championship. Uh, that will be taking place in Houston. And this spotlight is brought to you by the US Open Victory Club. That is at usopen.com slash victory club. They've been sponsoring us all summer. I know we did. What do we do? A spotlight on 07 Oakmont, uh, mm-hmm. Angel Cabrera. We did. Who else did we hit on? We with did these Bubba. USG, Bubba Dickerson, US yeah. Amateur. And now we're hit on the US Women's Open. The Victory Club is the official home of the US Open and US Women's Open fans. Uh, This week, there will be special discounts on U.S. Women's Open merchandise. I see you're wearing a hat there, Andy, on on the video here. I have the same one. I saw Shane Bacon was wearing his today. It's a cool little logo celebrating the 75th edition of this championship. And then throughout 2021, which is almost here, there'll be more sweepstakes to play U.S. Open venues. Those are not bad venues. No, Usually. they're, they're uh, good spots. To, sweepstakes to play U.S. Open venues, purchase merchandise only available to Victory Club members. Um, I know we've already had a couple Shotgun Start listeners that have won tickets to uh, next year's U.S. Open at Tory Pines, the men's Open at Tory Pines. So that was the sweepstakes we did back uh, around Wingfoot. So they yeah, have so already sign given away up. tickets. So usopen.com slash Victory Club. Sign up this week. All right, let's get to Julie Inkster. What are the nuts and bolts of her career? She is a Hall of Famer in objective measure, the points measure by the yeah, LPGA. Yeah, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. Let's talk about that at the end.
0: I don't was know if that's ridiculous. good or she bad. Was, she was not one before coming back after kids. So the way I think, I, I got this quote that I thought I pulled from a SI article. I think this was a after her win in 99 uh, from fellow LPGA player Lori Rinker Graham you know okay. she said Julie's a great skier most people go down side to side Julie yeah. goes straight down the mountain she's fearless yeah. and I thought that was a, a just a great encapsulation of of one of the the best competitors in in the women's game uh of all time Julie Inkster so she uh grows up in the Bay Area is a legend legend yeah. in the Bay Area you know sure. um lots of uh awards and she plays golf at san jose state where she is a three-time all american uh she's in the san jose state sports hall of fame and uh you know as an amateur she got married early and uh 20, you know i think she was 20 yeah when she got she married, got, her husband brian is a a golf pro uh so they have that kind see- of a,
1: before we, you're doing nuts and bolts, but you just talked about where she grew up. Do you want to talk about how and where she specifically she grew up?
0: Pasatiempo.
1: Yeah. Or do you want to, you want to finish your little nuts and bolts? No,
0: that's fine. Chill. We can talk about I mean, that.
1: She lived on yeah. the 14th fairway. That's a pretty good fairway. I saw you've done some videos, some work on most, the 14th
0: fairway. <laughs> I call it the most interesting fairway in golf.
1: A pretty good place to grow up, right? I mean, uh, her parents place. were into golf. She started like working at pasta temple before she really decided to become a golfer right surely take it up as a passion and competitive mm-hmm. i think i saw you know she started working there before she took it up she worked in the cart barn picked up the driving range and worked in the snack shack at the 10th tee but then like she when she turned
0: cooking up burger dogs
1: there, <laughs> there you go so then when she turned 15 that's like when she really took up the game she was working at the course she has this incredible venue like in her backyard literally and does it more as a job first as an early teens that really takes the game up as a passion or 15th, you know, she's winning three straight us women's amateurs in short order after taking it up as a passion. And pretty soon.
0: Athletic family too. her brother, older, older brother. One of her older brothers was a minor league baseball player. And, and she makes
1: the boys' team at, at her high school, Harbor High boys' team, and made the traveling team and won tournaments on on the boys' team at her high school. I mean, this is, again, where she didn't take it up until she was 15. Um, and I think I saw a Karen Krause article, a retrospective in 2014, where she was 18 when she made her national, national championship debut at Indianapolis. And she advanced through qualifying this U.S. Women's Open. Uh, she qualified as one of... 297 entrants trying to qualify that's not I mean now they're not up to around 2000 you know yeah. it's kind of amazing how the champion, U.S. Women's Open is growing and uh, she talks about when she got to her first US, national cha- U.S. Open National Championship she went 80, 72 72 and 75 to finish a tie for third but all she could remember as an 18 year old this is three years I've taken up as a passion they had brand new title lists on the range and she'd hit one, and then put one in her golf bag. <laughs> and she's just like, "I'm sure I was like way over the limit flying home because she had all these new title lists. So that's like her earliest high playing on the men's high school team. You know, growing up at Pastiempo. You have anything else you wanted to add? I mean, and that's her. Her husband Brian is is a uh, working in the pro shop, right? I mean, mm-hmm. at Pasatiempo. So,
0: okay, yeah, incredible story. I, it, it just it. I mean, obviously, like. With so many of these greats, it's just like the rapid success is is always startling to me. Like there are very few of the all-time greats that didn't pick it up and immediately were like very very good at it. It seemingly, you know, saw that with Faldo. Saw with so many of
1: these guys where it's like Mm -hmm. these these spotlights they pick it up and they're great really fast.
0: Um. So she wins. Obviously, she wins her first of her three straight. U S women's am she, her, uh, she's only the second woman, uh, to do that. 1934 was the, the last one, uh, to have that happen. Uh, but she was the second woman to win three straight U S women's am 1980 through 1982, 1980 being at Prairie Dunes. Um, do you have more on that? The 1980 Prairie Dunes, uh, just uh... in general, that, that string.
1: The women's amateur?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: so I, I I saw Erica when she won her third. She was the fifth ever to do it three times, but the first since 1934. So we're talking like, you know, the earliest days of women's amateur, but maybe the fields were smaller. No one's ever done it since. I saw, you know, Danielle Kane's gone back to back. Kay Cockrell's gone back to back. Kelly Keeney, uh, what did Kelly to Keeney's back. gone back. She She's factors in some of these mm-hmm. details coming uh, later majors. But no one's ever done three in a row. So she went 80 at Prairie Dunes, 81 at Waverly in Oregon, and uh, 82 at, I'm blanking now, um, at Broadmoor in in Colorado. Uh, But at Prairie Dunes, I mean, she almost didn't go. I think she had just gotten married. She just got married. Wasn't really, like, inspired. Wasn't thinking about going. I mean, she's already very successful. San Jose State, great player. But she was thinking about not going. And, you know, last minute she decides to go, she ends up winning. And I, I guess she lost her wedding ring that week and like her caddy found it. So she had kind of hadn't really planned to go. And then all of a sudden she just wins it. And it's the first of three in a row from 80 to 82. Uh, and this establishes, of course, the relationship with Prairie Dunes, which we'll get back to then 22 later is the 2002 U.S. Open. I mean, she talks about how she felt like that O2 Prairie Dunes was a home game and that like the Kansas crowd was really on her side, going all the way back to this 1980 U S women's amateur. She talks about running into her caddy, uh, -hmm. at the 22 years later and like recognizing him instantly in his voice and giving a big hug. It's just, so she establishes this at this U S women's am that she almost did not play.
0: Yeah. So we'll get into kind of the nuts and bolts. She turned pro in 83. Um, she won her. She won her first major, her first major start, um, as a professional. Ridiculous. Let me
1: let me backtrack real quick. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt again. Yeah, no, I want to talk about her swing going into her pro and like as an amateur. So she won the third one at Broadmoor, um, and, and this is a Bob Autumn article in Sports Illustrated when she'd won it for the third straight year. Um, she t- he talks about her swing. She had this like free arm motion. Did you see anything on this? And how, you know, Brian kind of taught her early her husband. Um, so this is autumn goes, this sort of antic imagination began taking shape at Santa Cruz in the sixties and seven, when, when the Simpsons, her uh, maiden name lived just off the 14th hole, 1976, the dashing new pro of the club was on Brian Inkster. I began taking lessons from him when I was 16. I was working as the cart girl. Um, and Brian would be sort of her boss, like yell at her, get a cart up here. <laughs> um, but what she also got was this huge flowing game, peculiar, peculiarly hers, accented by an extraordinary swing. This is her husband. I taught her a method I call the Leslie Kane. So this is her swing as an amateur. Leslie Kane is 73 now, Brian says. He teaches in London. He's holed up. This is an article from 1982. He's holed up in what used to be squash, cart, sw- squash courts in a beat-up apartment building not far from Herod's. There's no golf course, nothing, just nets. So he makes you hit into nets so you can concentrate on your swing and not worry about where the ball is going. He's the master. This is her husband. And, it's, and this is Julie after she'd won her third women, Women's Am. It's all in the arms. See, says Julie. It's tricky to learn. In the U.S., we overstress the lower body. We insist that you have to generate power with the swing of your hips, but not the old Leslie Kane. With him, it's all arms first. And then she pauses. Look at Tom Watson, she barks. Everybody jumps as if Watson's just walked in the room. I mean, watch him swing. You can't tell me he doesn't do it all with his arms. So, you know, she wins her third in a row. Engster, she astonishing her. Astonishing match play record was 20 and 2 in five consecutive women's amateurs and won 18 straight, obviously, to win three in a row. She won 20 and 2 overall and five amateurs in
0: match play at 18 she didn't, in a row. She didn't play in the U.S. Girls Jr. ever, did she? I don't, I don't know think if it so. ever. It's interesting when you contrast it with Tiger. I wonder how their match play records stack up because right. uh, Tiger won three. Obviously, he won the three. US AMs in a row, three US juniors. But if you took out the US juniors and just compared their records in the in the US AM, I'm sure Tiger played more than five US AMs, So Inkster's record would have been better. With uh, I found a later quote. Yeah, that's a good point. She
1: goes when I look back and and now I don't know how in the world I won three in a row because the match play you just get somebody hot and you're gone. It was probably my best accomplishment as a golfer. I'm not sure I would Disagree with that. Honestly, it's my probably my best accomplishment as a golfer, either professional or amateur. (laughs) Before twenty-one, she also won the eighty-one Cal Am and won the Curtis Cup, and you know was a collegiate All-American at San Jose State for years.
0: Yeah, I mean Bay Bay Area Athlete of the Year. You know, it just. Do you think the three women's? It sounds like you
1: contested maybe it's not her greatest accomplishment.
0: She is the only man, or only woman, and I think only woman, and I think only man to win. Two majors in a decade for three straight decades. Yes. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't think. Um, has Did Jack do it in three decades?
1: Inkster is the only golfer in LPGA Tour history to win two majors in a decade for three consecutive decades. So she won but two I'm in not the 80s, sure two and 90s, two in the time. The um, only
0: one that would compete Jack probably is Jack. Probably, right? I don't, I'm not sure.
1: Did he but... win two in the 80s? That would be the issue. 86, obviously. But.
0: Um, OK, so that, yeah, it, that would it's... be my my counter as what her career greatest achievement would be, is that winning two majors in three consecutive decades is crazy. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Jack, yes. Jack won. Jack did it. So okay. Jack and, okay. and Angster. OK, Um. so. All right. If you look at her career, it's really the way you can break it down is her career pre kids, her career post kids. And that's yes. the way, you know, her pre-kids career really spans from 83 to 92. And her post-kids career is 97 on to about 2006 is kind of the, the end of, of her competitive, uh, you know, streak. And so pre-kids, she won three majors, two of which came in her first year on tour, Um, you know, first full year on tour. It was the, Dinosaur and the DeMariar classic. She beat Pat Bradley, Bradley in a playoff for her first major. Um, and then she she went on to win the 89 Dinosaur is all also over none other than Joanne Carner. Big mama. Big mama. Yeah. <laughs> um she had 15 total wins in that period. She had 17. Post kids, 97 on, which is astonishing, and four majors. So, and she was better after kids, which is amazing. That is just utterly amazing. So, she was better after kids. She won uh, 31 total times on the PGA, uh, the LPGA tour, 44 total worldwide wins. Um, So, seven majors, 31
1: wins on the LPGA.
0: Seven majors.
1: I love how you've broken it up to pre-post-kids, which is a theme we'll get into. So
0: So major career in totality, seven wins, one second, four thirds, 19 top fives, 30 top tens. And I, I said 85 starts. I cut out all the starts. She had a ton of starts after 2006. I mean, she's playing... At that point, she's like in her late forties. I just cut those out for like you know, kind of how we used to how we put together these prime years. So mm-hmm. eighty-five mm-hmm. starts, thirty top tens, pretty incredible.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, twenty-five percent of the time, basically just under twenty-five percent of the time, she's finishing top five and wins seven times in those eighty-five starts. Uh, more Solheim wins, more wins in Solheim Cup matches than any other American obviously the solheim cup captain also in what was it six? Three times she's been the three solheim times.
1: cup captain so three times in a row i mean 19 mm-hmm. i think 17 2011 she played as an assistant i mean she's the oldest player she's the oldest american player i think and second you know she's done it multiple times broken the record and the captain three times i think christy kerr just broke her points record in mm-hmm. 2017 she had the points record for a while this is what I would say like a large part of her more, most recent legacy, obviously it's the captaincy in, in the last decade or so. And and obviously as a player, I mean, she's playing with like Michelle, we who's like 30 years younger, you know, in 2009, it's just kind of an incredible longevity at the the, the team events, starting with the Curtis cup all the way back and, and the world cup. So, um, what else you got? Anything on that's, the, the that's totality? The rundown. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, you mentioned. I, we'll get to the pre-post kids.
0: Then you mentioned one her first. Thing, one, one yeah, thing, real quick. Yep. Nineteen eighty-four, she wins two major championships and is not the LPGA Player of the Year. She only wins Rookie of the Year. She never won the money list,
1: which is interesting, considering she's got thirty-one wins and seven majors. She never won the money list. Who was the Player of the Year?
0: Do we have uh, Betsy that?
1: King. Okay. Okay. So. She turned pro. She wins. Rick- was it a rookie year? Technically, I know it was. Yeah, she like so she, turned pro, she, the pro.
0: Okay, she got a she, few starts of prior season, and then yeah, she pro. won in '83. Okay. Her first event she won was in Seattle, the Safeco. Safeco something or other. Safeco Classic something. Um, they they don't have an lpj event in in Seattle anymore.
1: Is that Me? true? I think you right. You might be right. They've won in Oregon, right? They have the women's event in Oregon. Um, okay, so we'll talk about that first major real quick. I know we're going to talk about U.S. Open primarily, but you said she won her first major after turning pro. She obviously played in majors, USGA, U.S. Women's Opens as a women's amateur champion. She was a 23-year-old rookie. This is the Nabisco Dinosaur. I do not believe they had the big blue wall backboarding at Mission Hills in uh, 1984. But uh, the 23-year-old LPJ rookie fashioned a gem of a 68. This is Jaime Diaz, 1984. In the final round, to tie the tour's leading money winner, most consistent player, Pat Bradley, on an unyielding Mission Hills. Then, on the first playoff hole, she beat Bradley on the, with the most important mini-match of her career in the richest tournament in women's golf. She earned $55,000 for the
0: victory. Um... It's unbelievable the, big, the growth of, of purses and women golf and women's golf that span Inkster's career. Yeah, still
1: not there. We're still yeah. not it's still not equitable. But seeing some of the numbers just even between like her win in 99 and her win in 02, like the growth in those three years was significant. Mm-hmm. Um, still not there. But let's talk about this Nabisco, <laughs> the craft Nabisco. There was not a wall, but there was a little bit of controversy that uh I don't know. It allegedly, played into Julie Julie Inkster's. It favored her in this instance. The sudden wildness as is as Diaz again began after Pat Bradley's group was ordered to wait six minutes on the fifteenth tee to accommodate NBC, whose producers were afraid the tournament would end ahead of schedule. <laughs> Major championship. They told Pat Brad Bradley, "You got to wait six minutes on the fifteenth tee. We're ahead of schedule." Of course. It then goes to a playoff. Unbelievable. Because of the sudden death, the final credits were running before the final putts were hit. So they made Bradley wait on the 15th team. So Bradley's like on tilt after she had to wait. I guess she had to salvage a par after waiting six minutes. Um, she bogeyed the next hole, then almost lost it outright on 18 when she hooked it hard off the tee. Um <laughs> but it hit a slender palm tree and bounded into the fairway, stayed out of going to the lake, hit a little palm tree on 18. Love the Um, use, not a thin, a slender. Slender, that's Jaime Diaz, not me. Um, But Bradley quickly sealed her doom on the first playoff hole with a duck hook drive that ended up in deep rough and uh, took her three more shots. Angster just cleans up, two putts from 35 feet, it was over, wins her first major. After the round, Pat Bradley was seen grimly discussing the imposed weight on 15 with TV producers, Don Olmeyer and Larry Cirillo. Olmeyer, you know, the legendary TV executive. She refused to publicly blame the network for an errant drives, but she said, I was just a little anxious. Kind of incredible. I mean, think about that nowadays, TV producer, like you got to imagine then, that happening. <laughs> and then of course, like they go to playoff and they're like overtime. They're running the credits. Ugh before the putts are being hit in the playoff. It's, it's, well, you know where
0: that has happened is, uh, you know, the match, the match too, where they were holding t shots. Yeah. They're well, remember they're holding t shots, you know, so that's something Tom Brady could relate to Tom Brady (laughs) and Peyton Manning, Phil and tiger.
1: Yep. So getting back to the Brad, aside from the Bradley, you know, controversy, but This was interesting, 1944, 1984, they call their Inkster is typical of the new breed of PGA player, LPGA player these days. Uh, With winning, not learning, uppermost in mind, says tour veteran Amy Alcott, it's the age of not being intimidated. And I think that was evident by winning two majors in her rookie year. I mean, she just bursts on the scene after winning three women's amateur and then wins two majors.
0: And I mean, I think this is a this is just a trend that is continued. It's like with women's golf is that Inkster at twenty three is considered this young, you know, up and comer. But now we see sixteen year olds, seventeen year olds, yeah. you know, like that are contending and competing in, in major championships. So what what's happened really is this trend's just gotten, you know, younger more acute. And, yep. yeah. And and more prevalent. And it's it's when do you contrast you know contrast uh inkster's career and kind of timeline of career with the greats to this at this point in in the game this modern era of the game i guess she's modern too but yep. in this era of the game you know she's way behind yep at a- it's interesting i've
1: got some quotes from full circle when she was playing 2014 us women's open her 35th in a row there were like a lot of play, you know, a lot of players, 35th U.S. Women's Open. There were a lot of players, you know, who weren't 35, obviously. And she talks about mm-hmm. how that's changed. Like, it's a full circle thing. You listen to the Amy Alcott quote. She's like, none of these women are going to play in their 30s. It's a lot harder to have a family. It's a lot harder. Like, everything's international. There's like an Asian sway, and there's like just so much more travel. Um, it's like she sees like the Lorena Ochoa becoming more of the model, um, as opposed to then Amy Alcott talking about, You know, 30 years later, 40 years later, she's being the young gun. They're not, it's not about learning. It's about winning right away. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So we talked about her having a family. Uh, She won two in 84, two majors, won the Nabisco again in 89. Let's get to her U.S. Open history. So right before that pre sort of family phase, pre-child, I should say, pre-motherhood phase. uh, She has incredible heartbreak of the U.S. Open at Oakmont. Yes. 1992 US Women's Open. So, 10 years before she'd win at Prairie Dunes, uh, she loses at Oakmont in a Monday playoff to her good friend Patty Sheehan. Now, Patty Sheehan uh, actually transferred. She's from Vermont, transferred to San Jose State. And when they're in college, because so, she wanted like more competition, play alongside Sheehan. How about was, that team? Yeah. So, she wanted, like, just, she saw Inkster was doing well. She transferred there lived out I think I think Inkster took her in when like the earthquake hit in the Bay Area you know she stayed out in the Bay Area uh, she lived with Inkster after the earthquake destroyed her home so close friends and now they're at the women's open at Oakmont um and she and Sheen, I guess uh, you know legendary player in her own right <laughs> like incredible run uh yeah one of the all-time greats Two years later, though, before Oakmont, she had squandered a nine-stroke lead on the 36 holes to Betsy King. And she had said, it's probably easier to play tied for the lead than with a nine-shot lead, which is kind of it. She talks about the demons in her head at Oakmont. Uh, but this specific uh, edition at Oakmont, it was 6,300 yards set up. It was already the second longest course in U.S. Women's Open history, but it played even longer because this was when it was called Soakmont. It just poured all week the first and tenth poles, both par fours were unreachable and two for most of the field and players who, even for players who favored the run up shots had no chance because it was so wet. Uh, but Sheehan, and an angster who's considered like one of the flyers. That's why they thought she like played really well here too. It really like the women who made the cut were mostly flyers because it was so wet. You couldn't do any kind of run up shots. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, Inkster missed par putts of two and three feet on the back. And Sheehan, this is the playoff, had eight one-putt greens. So Inkster played well in the playoff. Sheehan was just kind of scrambled, shot 72, um, but had only 28 28 putts for the round to beat her in the playoff. The playoff wasn't especially close. And Inkster said, I don't think she's ever had a better putting round. What was more interesting, though, however, was how they got to that Monday playoff. Never, I mean, Inkster was two up with two to play on Sunday's eighth uh, final round. Um, and it, it's a little more controversial now looking back on it. This is a Jerry Dulac article from the legendary uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette writer. He wrote in 2009. Uh, she remembers the tournament more indelibly than others. She lost in a Monday playoff and she called it the biggest disappointment of her career. Like this sat with her. This is 2009 she's talking about. Sat with her Miss, forever. Even Miss after Short she won it.
0: on the back nine. And
1: this finish in regulation. 17 years later, despite bouncing back to win US Open titles, Inkster still appears to smart from the defeat. I remember her birdieing the last two holes and we had a playoff and I lost the next day. She and Birdies the last two. That's the Reader's Digest version, though. A succinct synopsis of how it all ended that year when the heavy rains turned the course that played into the second long, into Soakmont. Does not begin to describe the way it unfolded on Sunday afternoon when Inkster had a three-shot advantage at the turn and two-shot lead with two to go. After hitting their tee shots on 17, a weather warning horn blew, forcing the two players off the course. There was an hour and 45-minute delay, did not appear to bother Inkster, but it certainly did something to Sheehan. I guess Sheehan made some comment to her like, hey, funny things have happened, and Inkster seemed like bothered by that right after the horn blew. Like thinking, hey, two down, we got two more to play. They go wait an hour and 45 minutes. Sheehan benefited from the curious, albeit correct, ruling at a final hole when she was given relief. Okay, so wait, hold on a sec. 17th hole, she birdies it. Inkster Mm -hmm. like lips out a 12-footer. Sorry, she's cut it to one, they go to 18. Sheehan benefits from a curious but correct ruling on the final hole when she was given relief from the rough because she was standing in casual water. Relief from the rough because the quote rough happened to be the shaggy grass area that surrounded the cross bunker in the middle of the fairway. Sheen's nearest, nearest point of relief from the casual water was in the fairway, not in the wet, thick grass. So there's casual water in the rough. She gets a drop from rough to fairway, hits a five iron to 18 feet, makes the pressure packed birdie putt from 18 feet. and, And you know, Closes that two-shot and two-hole deficit, then wins Monday in a playoff, getting that relief from the rough into the fairway uh, on the Soakmont. This is O9. This is Inkster. When it was mentioned to her the other day, she began to walk away from the conversation. When she was told that USGA Executive Director David Faye confirmed it was the correct ruling, she kept walking and said, uh, yeah. So, I mean, then the next day, she blows it, Uh, you know, she and kind of ham and eggs it, you know, puts her ass off and wins in a playoff and that still like really pisses her off and it's really a, a tough disappointment close friends 92 she has kids 93 mm-hmm. uh that's like the second she didn't have kids but that was like that that sort of fallow that phase period. yeah but, this yeah, was pretty she,
0: much her last like major heartbreak um major contention before kids
1: from 93 to 97 she didn't win a tournament as she adjusted mm-hmm. to juggling career um yeah and she talks about it now, like to become a top level athlete, you have to be a little selfish until I had kids. My whole life was my whole day being Julie Inkster and it was about me and all that changed. Uh, there were a lot of times I was running around with my head cut off, feeling like I wasn't putting 100%, putting 100% into my kids and not 100% into my golf. That's not how it was, but that's how I felt. and It was tough to find a balance. And in the 1990s, my golf had to take a back seat. So, yeah.
0: And I think this is the same thing with uh, everybody that has had a kid can go understand and, and kind of um, sympathize with this. Like, your life changes. And especially, you know, I couldn't imagine if, if Kaylee at this point was trying to play competitive professional women's golf, like, what we would be doing. Like, you know, like it, it just would be impossible to think of playing at a, you know, and this is this kind of speaks to all the people that say, oh, well, he doesn't work very hard, you know, if, or she doesn't work very hard. And if it's a top five player, like this is perfect evidence of like, you can't do it. You can't, there are very, very, there might be five people in the history of golf that could be a top five player without working pretty hard, you know? And this is a good example of like a, a very, one of the all time greats going through a period where, you know, not dedicated to the game because she's dedicated to her kids. Um, What's interesting with the comeback, she recommits to golf in in 1997. She's not even sure if she can do it, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. And she's like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And then, you know, this is from John Garrity's 99 article after she won her first U.S. Open. Um, and this is her husband speaking. Pre-children, she was a wonderful golfer. But I yep. think she is a better player today. I didn't think it was doable. I never thought she'd be able to focus enough to be a great player again. But so I would just like to add like yes,
1: this is a particular issue whether it's it's not equitable that women in LPGA pros probably have to deal with more than men. Jack Nicklaus, mm-hmm. you know, if famously would only play so many events away from home to get back home to his kids, but Barbara was also there taking the kids. There's like there's a physical toll of motherhood. Mm-hmm. Giving birth, nursing newborns, like that's a physical toll that men do not have to deal with. And it's a complete bear that I can't relate to. I can only kind of appreciate watching my wife. Um, and I can't speak to the inksters. And you've got a lot of experience with it. Situation. But even like watching this pandemic, there's a physical toll, but there's a mental weight, right? That women deal with oh, like yeah. every decision, so many little decisions, little things like, This has to be taken care of, or even just how do I reply to this email? I've got, I'm going to have to, it falls on them, whether fair and probably unfairly. Um, That probably a men's professional tour pro does not have to deal with today, certainly did not have to deal with in 1993. And this is not saying anything about her husband, Brian, who sounds like he's, they're still, you know, kicking ass. And he was, but he was a teaching pro himself. They both had, jobs. And so it's just something that falls on women's professional players unfairly and, and shouldn't mm-hmm. probably. But it it's, it's something I think we should at least appreciate and is certainly uh very evident in this career retrospective looking back at her timeline. So, yeah, it is okay. just
0: interesting to think about the great women's career and how, you know, almost all of them end up cut up sh- cut short because of, you know, motherhood. Yeah. You know, yes. and Inkster's like one or of choice. the few. Yeah. yeah, it's not like a yeah, obviously it's a choice. Like, it's it's and all of them almost say it's impossible to do both. And it speaks to the, you know, Inkster's one of the few that actually came back and and was better. I mean, yes. that's that she might be the greatest post motherhood golfer of all time.
1: Yeah, it, it's and we're seeing some try. Like Stacy Lewis got back right, won mm-hmm. this year for um. I just think it's interesting that Garrity quote you mentioned, like her husband almost sheepishly. I didn't think it was doable. Yeah, I mean almost sheepishly, her husband Brian says, "I don't think I didn't think it was doable. I never thought she would be able to focus enough to be a great player again." And that's the mental weight of like, are the are the stuffed animals packed? Are the diapers packed? Like the dads don't always think of that stuff wrongly, or rightly, and it's just yeah, I didn't think she'd be able to focus enough to be a great player again, and this came. After she won, 99, US Women's Open. Or She finally gets it. That heartbreak of 92 at Soapmont, She wins again. This is the post sort of children rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting how she talked about 99 um, was like she re- rededicated herself, right? It was yeah. one of the most memorable seasons in LPGA Tour history. She won five times and won the, the elusive US Women's Open. Um, and then she won the LPGA championship, become the only first, completes the career grand slam fourth woman ever in 99. Yeah. Um Can we talk quickly about that other U S open 99 yeah. Old Waverly? Just,
0: just to <laughs> um, everybody. Yeah. Crushes them. Uh, uh, the comments uh, of the course were wonderful. Uh so
1: she talks about uh, until 97, she decided she could recommit to golf without harming, harming her children. I was straddling the fence. Do I quit? Do I play? Do I quit? Am I going to do this? I got to start working on my game. Um, she she cast a historic shadow over, over Waverly. This is John Garrity. Um, this was like, she found this competitive fire. You talked about the downhill skiing. She goes straight down. She doesn't go side to side. Like post-children, she's refinding the refocusing on the competitive fire. She finished five strokes ahead of Sherry, uh, Sherry Turner. She shot sixteen under two seventy-two and broke the open for the record for the lowest score relative par by six shots. Um, the course was fair, by the way, <laughs> by the participant standards. Lots what of I...
0: comment, fair commentary. How about the this how about the Mississippi Mississippi stuff? stuff? Yeah. Can we talk about? Can I read that a little bit? Yes, I would The Women's I would... Open.
1: The Women's Open offered Mississippians a chance to showcase their state, and they put on a good show. Visitors to the so-called Golden Triangle of Starkville, West Point, and Columbus were likely to run into footballers Archie Manny and Brett Favre, author Willie Morris, any of three former Miss Americas, or if they were out past midnight, the ghost of bluesman Howlin' Wolf, who hailed from West Point. Meanwhile, broadcasters and newspapers from Tupelo to Hattiesburg promoted the tournament as if it were a newly discovered novel by William Faulkner. The owner of a pizza hut in West Point, robbed at gunpoint, went on television wearing his U.S. Women's Open cap, like you're wearing right now. Half the fun was watching Mississippi, the most parochial state this side of Arkansas, entertain the polyglot multicultural traveling circus that it was women's golf. Koreans in catfish joints, Swedes eating barbecue. Those sites may not cause heads to turn in Atlanta or Memphis, but Mississippians gawked at the visitors and treated them like royalty. So... I mean, it was just like Old Waverly specifically venue. (laughs) Gary was like, you know, it's this mirage in the woods of northern Mississippi. It's a neoclassical clubhouse. Um, It has four lakes. The recognition is significant to Mississippians who often see their state ranked near the bottom nationally in literacy, public health, per capita income and Starbucks per market area. So, how about
0: the Starbucks
1: reference in '99? 1999. I was wondering about that. Like, how many
0: is that really a thing in '99? They're on every corner by then. It is something that you do notice. Like, certain states, when you're driving through them, and I've driven through Mississippi, is like, there are no Starbucks like that's what, like Iowa's kind of the same way. Like there's like if you're not, you know, it's just like an interesting thing that you could kind of tell where you are in the country by the number of Starbucks. That's a gr- It's a great description that you wouldn't that a lot of people wouldn't think of, you know. Yep. Old Waverly had the women's amateur, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Or the U Yeah they, had, they they've had an event in the last couple of yes. years, I think. Maybe the Women's it's, Amateur.
0: It's a nice it's a nice golf course and then right yeah. next door is uh Massey oak a Gil Hans course now too. Sure. So yep. good so good back, little golf spot. So the
1: golf, I mean, she needed only forty five holes to get the fourteen under. Um, you know, Kelly Keeney was there at this point. She had won the women's yeah. amateur.
0: Uh you know, there, there, also, this was a period and I, I kinda think in a a way we're still in this period of like they johnny mentions it on the telecast um in in prairie dunes but they talk about how they're in search of the next great american golfer right right and kelly keedy was the one that they thought was it you know she had won she's 22 she'd won two usams a british am and an lpga event you know Apparently, she was like hit wedge shots close and screamed Texas pride and was doing the
1: hookem horns. Very like, you know, they talked about how she was just this little Ke- like spark plug. They loved writing about there, her. There's uh, a whole go.
0: spotlight on the Keeney family. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Uh,
1: <laughs> but uh, so she got to 1,445 holes. It should, we should note Old Waverly came the week or the year after Black Wolf Run where mm-hmm. the players did not love that one. And, and Inkster even said, I mean, it was a joke. Bogey, 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 bogey at least we're making birdies here. It's exciting. I mean, she, Keeney got sort of close. Uh, not sort of, I mean, she won by six. Um, mm-hmm. But this was like a real sort of career achievement. Obviously, she run three times, never won the women's open. You know, she finally gets the trophy and she like hands it to her husband. Like you want to feel that trophy handing him the weighty token. It, it just seems like It made up for the open that got away at Oakmont is how it was written. Still doesn't seem like anything will make up for that Oakmont loss in 92. Um, But yeah, that's it. That's all I got in 99, Old Waverly. With the golf, you know, nothing dramatic about the finish. She just, she'd come back, rededicate herself and kicked ass.
0: I mean, it's pretty incredible. She wins, like, two weeks later. She wins another major. She wins the the McDonald's LPGA Championship by four shots. Like, just... We talk about dominant stretches of golf, but back-to-back majors, you know, to win by nine shots is pretty astounding. Um, I read a shipknock on that article, so
1: she won the LPGA. She completes the career slam. I guess Annika fired her caddy, like, after the first round. And, and, um... What... They said, I think Nancy Scranton said this wasn't a tournament; it was a mini series. There was all sorts of drama. I think somebody got hurt right before. Uh, you know, Annika fired her caddy, um, and Inkster won by four. She goes, Shipnuck made this comparison a lot. She goes, she said he was reinventing herself the way Marco Mira did again as a late blooming star, except. You know, well,
0: she won three, won three majors, U- U- the, AM, <laughs> three straight U.S. Women's AMs. and <laughs> three, won three major.
1: majors in the first part of her career. I mean, I, it was sort of a rejuvenation, but like now she's completed the career slam. See, she won the McDonald's LPGA championship. Now the women's now known as the women's PGA championship, you know, and to be so close to a Hall of Fame is pretty hard to comprehend. I distinctly remember they said they were going to change the criteria. I was adding up the points in my head and I thought, God, I'm still seven away. I don't know if I can do that. Now, six months later, I'm only a point away. It's unbelievable. So she just completed the career slam. She's still
0: like short of Hall of Fame. (laughs) This whole Hall of Fame criteria is just insane. She won the career slam. And she won three straight US Women's Sams.
1: So I don't know if I'm like, I think it's nice to have some (laughs) objective measures, guardrails, but like. If you've just completed the career slam, it's sort of hard to like. You're still like trying to come up with points to get in. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting way to look at it.
0: I mean, she gets um, it, obviously. So she yeah. wins. She wins the two thousand. She wins the next year's LPGA championship. Also, she wins a bunch of other times in there. And then it gets us to two thousand two for the U.S. Women's Open. And and there's the thing that's important to remember here is that she's getting into her forties. She's had, you know, 99, she wins two majors, but what's happening in in women's golf is this is, you know, we're in a great era of women's golf now, but this era has some of the most dominant players of all time, you know? Um, And leading into this event, this is like, uh, I think this is kind of like a pinnacle of women's golf leading into the 2002 US Women's Open. There are crazy storylines with, you know, these three players that are, you know, absolute superstars and really, you know, you can look at all three of them as changing the, the landscape of women's golf. And it doesn't include Inkster. Inkster's kind of the dark horse heading into 2002, but you've got Sayri Pak, who's won two of the last three majors uh, and had won four of them since 98 when she won at Black Wolf Run, obviously. Um, Kari Webb. Is seeking to win her third straight U.S. Women's Open. Um, mm-hmm. So, just I'm going to run down Webb's major starts from '99 to the two, till 2002. She goes mm-hmm. third, m em- miscut, seventh win, win t ninth win t seventh t second win win t fifteenth seventh fourth. Heading into this event, she MCs at this one, her going for a third straight yep. and we can, yep. I, I got Great a little points. bit more on, on that. Um, and then, and then she wins the British uh, in the next start. So she, she won on, on her career, uh, seven majors, um, but leading into the event. So this is from a Thomas Bonk, LA, uh, LA times article leading into the event. Webb had won five majors by 27 shots lot. Six players had a chance to win three majors in a row. Um so this you know no no um no woman has ever won three US women's open in a row. So she yep. was going for this the three majors in a row uh Mickey Wright, Donna Cap Capone, Susie Burning, Hollis Stacy, Betsy King, and Annika, who had a chance in the nineties. Um before this. So she was the youngest major to uh, youngest player to win all four majors. And at this point, it's very clear that Webb and Annika are considered the class of, of the LPGA tour, the class of the women's game, which is insane considering say Repak has won four times, four majors since 1998. Like they're they're in a whole nother echelon of say repack, you know? So you think about like this time in women's golf, you got Pak has won four times, Inkster has won three times.
1: Also, is the most active, right? I mean, most yeah. majors active. I know three of those were in the eighties, but like, it's kind of crazy. She's, you call her a dark horse, you know? Yes, For God's sake, right? You know, <laughs> and, and, and say
0: Pac has won three of the la three, uh, two of the last three majors. It isn't even considered like in force. It isn't even considered. She's this young superstar and isn't yeah. even considered one of the you know like in the same like class is Webb and uh and annika so getting to annika this is this is the peak this is the the second year of maybe the most astounding and i there are tiger fans out there i don't know i looked at at this and i don't think anybody will ever touch this run of golf by annika sorenstam it is utterly astounding so in two thousand two, this year, she won eleven times in twenty-two events. She had six wins in thirteen events leading into this event. Uh she had six
1: and thirteen. That was like six, pushing Mickey Wright territory. Six of thirteen, she'd won. That's a good and, batting average.
0: And we'll get into the tournament, but six Ricky's of thirteen
1: in half uh, a season.
0: Yeah. Uh she had three runner ups, three thirds, and twenty top tens in two thousand two. 20 top 10s. I think she had 21 or 22 starts. Um, during this stretch of 2001 to 2006, she won 43 times in 124 starts. Jeez. She finished in the top 10 in 102 of those 124 starts. What? 102 times? 102. She Top 10. 20- 82% of the time she teed it up from 2002 to two, or 2001 to 2006, she finished in the top 10 and 35% of the time she won 35% of the time.
1: She is her own spotlight. Of course, Sonica, not that it's not a bit player, but like, just to give you context of coming into this Prairie Dunes, where she's at or I mean, where Inkster's up against, you know,
0: on her career. It's, Utterly astounding! I tweeted this out this morning. Yeah, she she made 307 starts on the LPGA tour and made 298 cuts. Four of the missed cuts came in her rookie year. Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: crazy. It's crazy.
0: Utterly unbelievable. So this is what like is leading into this tournament it is like you've got Webb going for three straight. Yeah. And then you've got Annika putting together maybe the most dominant LPGA tour year of all time. And you've got
1: you know Pac, of course, is kind of you know exploding the game internationally and winning, dominating her own fashion. Maybe not to the level that Annika had. And Inkster is active six majors. um, You know, is unbelievable. Three of them,
0: three of them since ninety
1: (laughs) nine. Yeah,
0: It's just it, it, so. And then Laura Diaz is this like kind of young up and coming player. She's the first round leader. She had won twice in 2002 leading into the event. Yep, She kind of fades through the weekend. But that's something. So it, I recommend this round is on the USGA YouTube channel. Go check it yep. out. It's really fun. It's a Prairie Dunes. It's one of the great golf courses. One of my favorite places in the in the United States to play golf. I love this place and it is so cool to watch women's golf. I watching this, I kind of like all I could think about is like why isn't we talk about, you know, this desire to have a men's rota on the yeah. on the I what do they call them? What is the, that term? Oh, anchor sites, Anchor sites. Prairie Dunes should be a women's U S open anchor site. They had huge crowds. It is an absolutely phenomenal, um, golf course. It is just in a, a great golf course and it's the right size. Like it can't host. It probably could host men's majors. It, you Mm -hmm. know, be with the way the wind can blow out there. It would be crazy, but the, you know, it'd be short by major championship standards. Um, but, for women's golf this this thing should host a women's major every 10 years um
1: what are the logistics so i've read several articles on this you watched it a uh, uh, constant reference to the crowds being huge everybody going nuts it's well July there's a ton weekend. of
0: space out there too yeah but know?
1: where are the people coming from so we just read about Which... Old waverly in mississippi where the people just embraced it loved it Seems like they absolutely love this one, and you know, not the biggest market. Sort of hard to get to spot. Like, what are
0: the logistics of like where? How, Wichita. How Wichita's an hour from there. Okay. So that's like right. if you host something like this, that's where everybody's going to stay. But it's not unlike like what we saw at Aaron Hills or, you know, but like mm-hmm. then you've got like other big cities. Tulsa's I think, three hours away. You've got Kansas yep. City three hours away. And we saw like Solheim Cup when they d- hosted in Cedar uh, or in, uh, in Des Moines. That's yep. the biggest crowd ever at anything. It's like this, this is you bring a U.S. Women's Open to Hutchinson, Kansas. It's the biggest event there every decade, you know. Yeah. Um, And obviously the last USGA championship they held was the U.S. Senior Open, which was a it was brutally hard. And, you know, the there was controversy on the final day because the USGA set up the course extraordinarily easy. Membership was mad. The course record set, you know, Johnny Miller allegedly is escorted off the telecast of that year. (laughs) <laughs> that that might be a future spotlight. Miller is an honorary member at Prairie Dunes. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's another reason to watch this. Is this is what Miller is throwing heat? This is, like we talked about. Oh, His fastball. Yeah. 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 Th- talked- I mean, Miller's great. Uh, He's thing. awesome
1: at Pinehurst. Ninety-nine. We did the Payne Stewart, you know,
0: spotlight. I mean, yeah, I watched the broadcast on the uh, USGA. It's two hours. You can put it up on your big screen if you got a smart TV or an Apple TV. Recommend doing it. Um, (laughs) So, anyways, it picks up on the 11th hole. Inkster makes a birdie. Now, Inkster started the day. Sorensand is out in front. She's the only player under par. She's at two under. Inkster and McGill are at even. And Inkster had been battling her swing all week. She'd been putting incredibly. You know, she was just like her putter was keeping it in it. Uh, we'll go over her putting stats towards the end, but you know, um, the you know, she said at the end she f- found something on the range in her last 15 minutes of her s- session that she wasn't Saturday. getting a full shoulder turn. No, Sunday, Sunday, okay. Oh, yeah, right before she goes out. That's right, right before That's right. she goes out. So she's not hitting the ball well, she's kind of just like scraping it to- around. Um, and making a ton of putts that kept her in it. So she is in the group ahead of Sorenstam, which is important. So this was Sorenstam a big and thing. and Jill of, McGill are the Jill final McGill. group. No, Gil, Jill
1: Joe McGill, who is noted as having just turned down Playboy for a six figure deal, probably not the notes you get in men's game, yeah. right up the recaps, and even in 2002. Uh, they're in the final group. McGill and Sorenstam, Inkster is one group ahead. The entire
0: um, telecast, Johnny's talking about how Attica got screwed, because Jill McGill, it was played very poorly and is extraordinarily uh, slow, and they got okay. put on the clock at one point on the back oh, nine. Okay. Um, um, so Saturday night, though
1: Saturday night, she Sorenstam's. You just talked about the, the statistics. It's like I read a gamer from Saturday night. She says the tournament is far from over, but it sure doesn't look that way. This is about Sorenstam. All the challengers had bogeyed 18, giving her a two-shot cushion. And she just won half of her tournament, 6-13. to um, I talked about Prairie Dunes has met its match. Sorenstam has hit every fairway. She's missed <laughs> just three greens. Um, she's only had to hit out of the rough once in two days. Um, Jill McGill called her a machine. You know, she meanwhile, she, putted, extra- she
0: was putting really bad. That's the right. thing. She's right. leading by two, and she was like, I think she finished the week 63rd in putting.
1: It doesn't look that way. It looks over Saturday night. And, and meanwhile, like you said, Inksters just doesn't have it, right? She's saving it from everywhere. She had seven par, par saves on Saturday alone, four from the six-foot range. And, quote, on Saturday night, she goes, I, I'm going to have to go with what I got. And she's up against Sorenstam. Sorenstam- He's like, just clicking. Uh, a historic year. Uh, she's one group ahead. She apparently finds it or whatever yeah. you're talking about in the last 15 minutes. Here are some of the stats. Um, she averaged 259.6 yards off the tee, good 10 yards shorter than Sorenstam. She hit 39 of 56 fairies, fairways, 10 fewer than Sorenstam. She ranked 13th in greens hit and regulations, 12 spots behind the tournament leader, Sorenstam, but putting can make up for a lot of mistakes. Um, she one putted thirty seven times, yeah. chipped chipped in twice, including a sixty five footer for birdie on the sixth hole, which starts the comeback. This Sunday comeback, she never three putted in four rounds um, on very
0: very difficult greens. Right, right, like uh, uh, extraordinarily uh, difficult greens, where if you are not close, like especially the way she was hitting it. She had lots of putts over these these Maxwell rolls, which are just incredible. Like they're like they're like landmines in middles of greens, like you know elephants in middles of greens. And she said, "I'm hanging on by my fingernails Saturday night and Sunday. Something
1: changes Sunday. I mean, let's talk about so, the Sunday. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, the heat uh, index is 107. Yeah. Our heat index was 104 degrees July Fourth weekend in Kansas, and she shoots 66.
0: Yeah. So she she goes out and she's just striping it for the first time all week. And it had to just feel like a crowd. So she lifts <laughs> out right. birdie on one birdies two, chips in on six yep. uh, putts in putts in from off the green on seven. Then birdies 11, which is right where the telecast starts up uh, to get to four under. And at this point, you know, source stands even par on on a golf course. Nobody nobody's under par. Except yeah. for Inkster gets under These par two. and, yeah. and Sorensand is even. You know, she missed a couple short putts, like she missed a short putt on eight and she's even par and is now two behind. Um, the, one cut, of the-,
1: the cut was nine over, by the way. The cut was nine over. It's yeah. not like a, there were only two players under par, like you said. Sorenstam and, and Inkster finished were the only ones under par. And the <laughs> next, the third th- person who's third was three over. So yeah. it was just like a two person, you know, by a lot, two person duel.
0: So, so anyways, they, they go down this final stretch and and Inkster, you know, the final group gets put on the clock on the 12th hole, which is unbelievable. I mean, people go nuts on Twitter. This happened. (laughs) Like, I mean, it it was, it was insane to think like they've been put on the clock and like Johnny is like, God, Soros has got a raw deal. You know, if she was playing with Inkster, this would be completely different. You know, Sorce has a pretty quick player, and she's being taken out of her rhythm. Meanwhile, Inkster's oh. ahead, putting pressure on. She's four under. So anyways, the key moment, the pivotal moment on the whole tournament is that on the 14th and 15th hole. These yes. holes are right by each other. So 14 is like a short par four that plays down into the cottonwood trees. It's like a really beautiful stretch of prairie dunes. And then 15 is the famous shoot hole that you everybody takes pictures of. It's a par yeah. three, really hard par three playing back up the hill. But Sorenstam, Sorenstam uh, Inksters missed the 15th green long left. And she's taking a drop off of some cable wires. And in the process, she's at the point has a two shot lead. So, uh, Inkster's in a bad spot on 15. Sorenstam hits it to 15 feet, rolls in the birdie putt while Inkster's taking this drop. And this is, you know, this is as close of proximity as you can get at Prairie Dunes. This green, these two greens to each other. So like Inkster fully knows what's happening. She takes yeah. the drop, hits a really bad chip. Meanwhile, Sorenstam's on the tee box, you know, 15 tee box. Uh, Inkster's not even on the putty green. She's on the fringe. Twenty feet or so away, and she cans it to hold yep. on to that one shot lead. Oh,
1: stands sitting on her bag, right, watching mm-hmm. it from the tee box. She she gets up and down with you know all the work being done on the putt. And which, yeah. By the way, reading these old gamers, never trust the distance in some of these gamers. Some one gamer, it was eleven foot putt, and another gamer oh. was eighteen foot putt. No, it
0: was the, the, it was ch- like at least
1: twenty. The chip in on six was described as forty feet and sixty five feet in two separate. Like it's just like. I, you know, we're reading about whatever, Jane Sarazen and just, you know, I, take every distance with a grain of salt, guys, when we're reading old, old
0: stories. Okay,
1: go ahead. So I, so, watching it, so, a-
0: so then, you know, it, this, it was like, she could have walked off that green very easily tied. She goes to 15, which is playing the hardest of any hole on the golf course that day. She makes birdie and store Sam bogeys, uh, 15. So she goes to 16 Hardest hole of the day, Birdies hits a seven iron to 15 feet, makes the putt. Meanwhile, Sword Sam misses like a five footer on, on 15. And now that lead is up to three. Um and that was this that, that yeah, turn, right? I mean... the, the tournament's over at that point, pretty much. Because you know, Sword Sam plays one under in to close it to two. Inkster, Inkster Bogey's uh Inkster bogey actually Sword Sam bogey sixteen too. Uh, but Inkster bogey seventeen. She missed a green with a wedge. Like that's the thing is, if Sorasam doesn't miss that shorty on fifteen, Inkster did kind of like, you know, she gave one away on seventeen, and it would have been I okay. had a chance, okay. but but you know, sixteenth was you know the hardest hole on golf course. So, um, you know that bogey on sixteen and uh, seventeen where she missed it with a wedge, par five, like. Middle of the fairway was her first bogey of the day on like a really, really tough day, really tough golf course. Um yeah. and uh and then you know she, all that matters on 18 is finding the fairway, hardest fairway to hit out there. She hits a stripes one right down the middle, hits on the green, two putts for the win. So she shoots par, she shoots 66th lowest round of the tournament. Sorosan shoots even par, final round of the US Open. U.S. Women's Open, where she goes into it as the only player under par, shoots even par. Loses by two. Loses by two, is five clear of third place.
1: Angster joins Babe Zaharias as the only women to win two majors over the age of 40. Mm -hmm. Um, What else? She was second Second, oldest, I think, to win, right, the women's?
0: By almost one year exactly, I think it was she was forty two and thirteen days, and Zaharius was forty three and seven days. Okay, uh, talking about the Annika heartbreak, she was like told um,
1: something about like having to. You, well, second place, you know, you get the medal, right? The, I didn't lose today. Julie won Sorenson said, but she looked confused when a USGA official told her that as runner up, she was expected to attend the tra- trophy ceremony. Quote. Well, that sucks, Sorenstam said, comically understating her disdain for second place. So, I mean, and she's true. I mean, it's accurate. She's pissed she came in second. She didn't really give it away in any way, shape, or form. It's Inkster went nuts. Finally found it, shot 66 and 104-degree heat index, um, 8. Did you feel like it was a home game for Inkster? Reading that, it was just like she talks about, you know, I felt it. I felt the connection from the U.S. women's amateur. Like she is a very emotive player. Mm -hmm. Like every article, they talk about the fist bumps, Inkster's like signature, like uppercuts and celebrating every putt that was dropping as she saved and saved and made a birdie putt or chipped in. Um, did it feel like that in Kansas? that It was more on Inkster side watching, or is that I, just? It's totally. I
0: totally would agree with that. I mean, the roars were bigger. I think the other thing that played into it was that, you know, with them not being in the same pairing, that Inkster Inkster yeah. group had so much energy, you know, because right, she was rolling right. putts in, and and, and it, then you know, Soros, had, like you know, Johnny alludes to, like, you know, it's like the seventeenth hole and McGill. Loses her ball. She can't find it. She's ta- like, she had to wait like 20 minutes to hit her second shot on the 17th hole. And it's yeah. just like, there was just, they were always slow behind. And then there was just no energy. And, and Sorenstam missed a couple short putts. It's, it, it's a crazy, it's a definitely, I imagine, like Inkster feels about that, um, the Oakmont US Open. I, I imagine to a certain extent, Soren Sam feels the same way about this one um, where it was right there. And it just like, she just did not make any putts. Um, and like, it just is a crazy thing to like put it. So say repack shot 68, 68 to finish fifth on the weekend. She had a bad start, but you just think about like the, the main, like, I don't know if this has ever happened on on the men's side of golf, but like this major championship, like the storylines you have Webb yeah. who's, Seventh all time with seven majors, Inkster, seventh all time with seven majors, Sorenstam, uh Sam tenth ten majors, fourth all time, and Pac 14th all time with five majors. Like I just I don't think men have ever had a major where like there's been the confluence of four players in their primes like this. Heating, yeah, on heater. Um it's just
1: so Annika got a call from Tiger Saturday, like whatever, you know, some cliche, keep doing what you're doing, grind them down. And it was interesting, like Clifton Brown in the New York Times, they contrasted that. When the Sorenstam goes into a final round with the lead, her name usually goes onto the trophy. But while players on the PGA Tour have been criticized for not standing up to Tiger Woods, Inkster not only stood up to Sorenstam, she outplayed her. Um, and, and like her husband talked about, uh, Brian talked about others might have better game. I mean, Annika is awesome, but Julie doesn't back down if she can get her game together. She's there and she sort of did get it together Sunday on the range. She talked about all the pressure was on Anika. She's the number one player in the world. If I could get off to a reasonable start, I would have a shot. And it was a performance for the ages equaling the best final round by a women's open champion. By Pat, set by Pat Bradley who shot 66 and 81 and Sorenstam matched that in 96. She, and this is a closing quote. I don't know how many more opens I'm going to be able to compete in to beat the best player in the world. You don't get a chance to do that too often. So yeah. I mean, thinking back to Holy crap, like 22 years where you've won the women's amateur um, and the kid, like her motherhood phase where she had, you know, didn't know if she wanted to play golf and now she's beating Sorenstam at her peak. On a place like Prairie Dunes, at the most, the richest purse by far, it'd be, the purse had uh, become 3 million, I think, mm-hmm. only seven years after it finally got to seven figures, 95, 1 million. Um, most prestigious women's championship. It's kind of got it all, this specific US Women's Open.
0: Yeah. And, and like just like the, Amazing. They asked her what she remembered about Prairie Dunes, and she's like, nothing. I was I was like a 20-year-old kid. I don't remember really anything, you know, because, like, everybody was trying to make it. And she's like, oh, I don't remember anything. But she said, you know, like, anytime par was a good score was good for her because, like, you know, if you read, like, the critiques of, like, why didn't she win more? And there was a critiques early in her career, like, you know, she's really good, but, like, she should win more. If she's like yeah. this great, is it, it was all around like she didn't have the consistency at, from T to green to like, you know, it she wasn't ever Annika. She did it with like the putter short game and and she would catch, you know, like final round where she had a great ball striking round and just, you know, put together the round of the tournament. And if you can watch on video, I think
1: you watched that segment, right? That whole like yeah. 14, 15, 16. I and mean, just Ferguson, Doug Ferguson had a write up. He talked about, you know the prairie rocked, the reaction was chaos, and you talk, it's like close proximity. I mean, that seems it's like a real good microcosm. If you can't watch the full video to watch at least that portion of it.
0: Yeah, there's a, that's like that, one of the cool things with Prairie Dunes and why they should have US Women's Open all the time is that they have this dune setting, which you can put, and there's all the space yeah. in that area on the back nine for grandstands. Like, it just is an epic, epic, Championship venue. I I don't understand why there aren't more. Uh, they they should have this U.S. Women's Open all the time. Um, and you know, Annika. So Annika goes on to win five of the next eleven uh, majors. By the way,
1: <laughs> pretty good. We'll have a separate. We'll we'll learn to not be able to stop uh, stumble over pronouncing her last name, and probably do a spotlight on her. I cannot
0: say her last name without Soren 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 Yeah, I'm yeah. struggling with that one. Um, I always, I always want to put an M on Sorum uh, Soren, yeah. I always, it, that's where I strive. but, uh, Stumbling every time. So, yeah. all right. So she's just call that. her Annika. She's, Anika, she's, that's she's on those, a, she's on people. a, it's like tiger, you know, you yes, don't have to, yes, she's yes. a, she's a, there's very few people that get to the one name, uh, one name level, especially in women's golf. I think she's probably like MB probably would have, would get right. there. And, and Annika, right. um, you know, and, uh, Lorena, Uh,
1: So let's put a bow on her U.S. Open career. So she says in 2 I don't know how many more U.S. Opens I'm going to be able to compete in. Here's a 2014 Karen Krause article. Take a long look at Julie Inkster, who carded a 4-under 66. This is Pinehurst, the week after they did the men's there. The lowest round of the week on Saturday. After 35 starts, Inkster will play in what is likely to be her final round of the United States Women's Open on Sunday. How remarkable is her longevity? In the field of 156, there are only 12 other players who have had 35 birthdays. So everybody's under 35. She served as the model of, for a generation of working mothers on the LPGA tour. But Inkster now envisions the top players following the path of Lorena Ochoa, who won two majors, reached number one before retiring at 28. Most of these girls are starting off really young playing. And by the time they get out there, they've played 10 years of competitive golf. and Now you're asking them to play another 10 years or whatever. It's just a lot of golf, a lot of wear and tear on your body. I don't see a lot of the girls playing into their 30s. I played through an era when I could have kids and travel domestically and bring my kids. Um, so her work-life balance, however tenuous, would be impossible for her to pull off today. She said, not just because of the travel. Gone are the tournament breaks in the fall and the recovery Mondays, spent away from the course, and considered sacrosanct by Inkster and her ilk. Now everybody's here on Sunday night. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know but I'm just glad I'm drinking with my kids instead of putting diapers on them. She talks about them just putting Sunday night, you know, players now grinding Sundays after tournaments. She's like, I'm glad I'm drinking with my kids. Before the tournament began, the USGA hosted a dinner for the past championship, past champions. Inkster was seated next to Paula Creamer, 27, and Meg 51, and Carrie Webb, 39. But her reach extended all the way to the septuagenarian Sandra Palmer and Sandra Hain, whom she competed against when she was starting out. At the dinner were LPGA players old enough to remember competing on courses with rubber mats on the practice ranges, and those playing Pinehurst Number no. Two a week after the men. In the middle, at least figuratively, was Inkster, the link between the tour's past and its future. And I thought that was like a good way to kind of characterize her career because yeah. she almost had two careers, you know, with the pre the the majors in the '80s. The major, the last one we focused on mostly was 2002 U.S. Women's Open. I love that she's shooting 66 round of the week in 2014 at
0: Pinehurst. It's kind amazing. Of yeah, it's um, just an amazing career longevity. It's a, a great play um and you amazing know amazing
1: US Women's Open career. Yeah. Specifically,
0: too. So. I mean, and yeah, one of the greatest women's uh, American players of all time. Maybe the greatest. Yep. Yep. All right. Anything else? I mean,
1: Legacy is pretty intact. I think we've yeah. pretty... She's a Hall of Famer. It's objectively, subjectively, she's a Hall of Famer. She,
0: she reached the she points
1: minimum. Pretty quickly in 99. Uh, all right. Thanks again to the US Open Victory Club. That is at usopen.com slash victory club. Uh, thanks again to the USGA for sponsoring this. And we will be back with you for a full US Women's Open preview.